American Giant makes great clothing, sweatshirts, jeans, and more right here in the U.S. Visit American-Giant.com and get 20% off your first order with code STAPLE20. That's 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com, code STAPLE20. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, Tommy, you just took a road trip. I sure did. I just took our Ford Bronco on an 800-mile summer road trip. Yeah, so that gave us the idea of talking about the best road trip cars uh, for the summer because, let's face it, uh, it's road trip season. Absolutely, yeah, and we thought we should compile a little list of the best cars to accompany you on your summer adventures. Except there's a problem. Okay. Uh, And that is, I really believe this, that the best road trip car is actually a truck. Well, we can talk about that. That's an interesting uh, interesting well, yeah, viewpoint. I don't want to step on Andre's toes. You know, he's got that truck podcast, right? And I don't want to be, like, talking about trucks when we're the car podcast. So I say we go with it. You say we step on his toes? Yes, I say we step right over his toes. I think that the audience should know what the best road trip vehicles are. All right, so here's my criteria. First, let's establish their criteria, okay? And then we'll talk about your road trip in the Bronco. For me, a road trip vehicle, first and foremost, has to be comfortable. Okay. That's why trucks are great because they're big and they've got lots of room and they have lots of cup holders. The downside, of course, is you have no place to put your stuff, but that's a whole other discussion that we'll leave for Andre. Number two, I think they have to be off-road capable because when I go road tripping, Tommy, I want to go off-roading at some point. Well, I think that depends on your road trip because some folks have no interest in going in the dirt and some folks just want the uh, fuel economy benefits of an on-road car. Yeah, and then that was number three, actually. You got to it before I did, and that is the ability to have pretty good fuel economy. I mean, you know, fuel prices are through the roof right now, so we're very well aware of that. So in this podcast, we're not just going to talk about the obvious road trip cars like, you know, like the Tahoe uh, and the Land Cruisers of the world, but we're going to talk about, like, small cars that actually you can road trip and not, you know, put a huge dent in your wallet. Right. Very good point. Yeah. So let's start uh, with your Bronco road trip. Tell me, where did you go? And a Bronco is an odd choice, especially when rolling on 35s, because it's not exactly uh, the most fuel-efficient car. It's not exactly the most um, comfortable car in some ways. But tell me about it. Where did you go and how was it? Well, we started in uh, Boulder, our location here in Colorado, which is about 45 minutes from Denver, Colorado. And then we decided to go northwest, so we went up I-70, through the Rocky Mountains to a city called Steamboat Springs. And who's we? Uh, me and my buddy Kira. Okay. And then um, in Steamboat Springs, we spent the night before continuing on to the Utah border where we went and saw the Dinosaur National Monument because we've been collecting these little stamps from the different national parks and monuments from around the country. And then from Dinosaur National Monument, we went south uh, back to I-70, back through the Rocky Mountains to a place called Keystone, Colorado, and then ended up back in Boulder. So we had a bunch of cool little adventures, saw a bunch of cool things. It was a great trip. How many miles? It totally was like 800 miles exactly. It's uh, just under maybe 790-something. 
But uh, the Bronco performed very, very well. I took the Bronco because I wanted to see how it was as a road tripper. We've done a lot of road trips and Wranglers and FJ Cruisers and Forerunners and all of it, but I've never done one of the Bronco, so I wanted to get that experience. So tell me, how does it compare to Wranglers and FJ Cruisers and you know the other pretty serious off-roaders? Well, I think it certainly is a lot better than the Wrangler on a road trip. I love the additional kind of width and the space in the Bronco. So I love how the Wrangler is nice and small and compact. Uh, but having that kind of additional shoulder room and leg room that the Bronco allows meant that it's just a much more comfortable way to spend a lot of time. So that was uh, a, certainly a big pro of the uh, Ford over the Jeep. I also think the ride is probably a little better when you're cruising down the highway at 7580 and you an expansion joint. The suspension seems to perform better on the Ford than the Wrangler. Yeah, independent front suspension is better on the highway, I think, than solid axles. For sure. And then um, I was also pretty impressed with the fuel economy. So I think we averaged like 19.6, 19.7, which isn't too bad for a twin turbo V6 on 35-inch tall tires and essentially brick in the wind. But yeah, the cool thing about road tripping a Bronco Wrangler is you can get to your destination and then you can pull the roof back. Yeah, right. you, had, you had that best top Sunrider, right? Absolutely, yeah. You could just fold it back, or if you were so inclined, you could also pull out doors. You so, know. so if you guys are wondering, you know, we bought our Bronco a year ago now almost, and uh, uh, we were one of the first ones. It's a first edition, so it was $63,000, all the bells and whistles, and that'll become important in a second because we're going to talk about one of its features, or lack thereof. Uh, and uh, it came with that top that was squeaky. And we finally got the replacement top from Ford. And so we had a best top, uh, soft top on it, which I just absolutely loved. Uh, but let's face it, soft tops are a little loud on the highway. So when you're road tripping, it gets tiring, right? So now we put the new hard top on. Did they take the old one, you know? Did, did Ford, I think Ford yeah. took the old one. Yeah, yeah they, they, wanted, sure did. they wanted the old one. Which, do you think that's ever going to be really valuable? Do you think like in 50 years' time when people are collecting the first edition Broncos? That they'll want the bad top, the squeaky one? Well, it was called the MIC 1.0 is what it's made molded color. And then yeah. it was a version 1.0 because it had all sorts of problems. But I bet you it's like defective Hot Wheels. Where in like 50 years from now, it could be. people There's... are going to collect the ones that are... Because they didn't make many of them. It was only the very first batches of the hard tops. Because remember, most of the Broncos shipped with soft tops. So we had a very rare top, and um, we may have just lost out on like $20,000 in 2050 money. Yeah, I'm not worried about it. Yeah, I know. <laughs> like people, like if you collect coins or stamps, right? That the most valuable yeah, the stamp defective ones. is that upside-down airplane stamp. Or if there's a if there's a stamping of a coin and somehow the die is starting to break, then those are the most valuable. There's a whole world of collecting these like oddball, rare things. So maybe you're right, but you know what? I, I, I need to drive the thing, <laughs> so I don't want the sound of like little elves mining gold above my head because it was squeaky and rattly and loud. Uh, so we put a Sunrider top on the thing uh, from Best Top, uh, and that's basically replaces those two panels in the front so that when you um, want, you can just uh, push it back and get access to the sun. Uh, and did you like that? Did you use it? We used it once, yeah, and it was quite nice. I uh, Certainly the, the Best Top Sunrider is still a little bit louder than the traditional fixed panels yeah. that you'd get on the you know, the, the hard top, but it was a very pleasurable experience to kind of open it up and let the sunshine in. But yeah, I mean, th think that the, the thing that Ford really nailed is the on-road dynamics are quite good for a vehicle on 35 inch tall tires. I thought the fuel economy was good. Passing power is really good from about 10 to 70 miles an hour. Uh, over 70, things kind of fall off a cliff a little bit and it kind of starts to huff and puff. Really? 300 horsepower ain't enough? Well, it's got 5,000 pounds worth of Sasquatched Bronco, so it's, <laughs> it's really pushing it. And then 
the, uh, the the radio, I still don't think the radio is very good for what you pay. So this is a $60,000 plus Bronco. But the issue is you've got speakers all the way in the front and the speakers all the way in the back. But unlike the Jeep, there's no speakers above your head. So there's not a lot of depth in the radio um, when you're really trying to pump your tunes. Especially when you got like a soft top over your head, right? That's maybe making a little bit more noise. That's right. Exactly right. But the seats are a thousand times better than the Jeep. Now, I think compared to a 4Runner, it probably still is a little better because I think the technology is better in the Bronco. Like we used wireless Apple CarPlay the whole time and it was fantastic. You know what's crazy with the 4Runner? It's like the oldest truck in the segment now and it just keeps selling more and more every year. Yeah, well, it's good. It's we, really just, good. we just did a video with a new one. Uh, uh, it's up on alltfl.com. So check that out. If you haven't added it to your uh, phone yet, just go to alltfl and you can add it as a little web app to your phone and then you can see that video. Uh, Toyota didn't do a lot with the new 4Runner, unfortunately, for 2023. Or fortunately, if you love the old one, I guess, they gave it uh, a, a, like, a, like a midnight package. Well, they gave it that 40th anniversary one too, which yeah, I think looks That's really kind of cool with delivery. Yeah, I think yeah. it looks really, really good. But I think that the 4Runner has similar on-road dynamics. It's a little bit quieter yeah. for certain because it's a fixed roof, right? I thought the uh, the interior comfort is also very good on the 4Runner. It does not nearly have the same kind of passing power as the Ford. I think that the 4-liter, uh, especially at altitude, is, is not quite as willing to scoot by trucks when you need it to. And um, the technology isn't as good as the Ford. So the, the wireless sync system is just incredible on the Ford. And the integration with your phone is really, really fast and snappy. And you can have multiple widgets running at one time. And it's really, really handy for that. But uh, the 4Runner is a good road tripper. Downside of the 4Runner is also fuel economy is going to be pretty rough. Yeah, you know, the great thing about all these vehicles, be it a Wrangler, a 4Runner, um, a um, Bronco, or even, I would say, even a Defender, which is kind of getting up there in price, is, you know, when you're road tripping, for me at least, the cool part is, like, you, you just have stuff everywhere, right? You've got your dog, and it's just a bit of a time where you can be messy and not worry about the interior quality or... Um, you know, spillage in the car. So I love the fact that uh, you can have beef jerky and potato chips and, you know, all this stuff just kind of all over the place and it spills on the floor. But because it's an off-roader, it's kind of designed for that. So you can just kind of bring it home and just hose it off as opposed to, like, worrying about picking up melted Sour Patch Kids from, you know, carpet. Okay, and that's in what vehicle? Any of these, any of these off-roaders. That's why I think they're great road trip cars because you can just you can just kind of you know treat them a little bit like a rent a car. Yeah, you say that, but it not, doesn't actually work out like that. No, tell me. No, because every Wrangler for some reason has carpet in it. <laughs> so you make it sound like you just spray out a tub, but no, every Wrangler has carpet in but it. But you that, don't feel bad like you know getting you do because get, getting like like your dog jumps out and jumps back in with muddy paws, and you don't feel bad about getting muddy paws on the vehicle because you can just hose it off. No, it's no. You cannot hose it off because it's got carpet in it. This well, is one of the big problems that Jeep needs to address, which Ford has done a really good job with. You can get the Bronco with a full vinyl interior, with vinyl floors, plastic flooring, plastic seating. The Wrangler, you have to get carpet. I'm like, why? Should, why get? Why do I have to get carpet? I keep I keep kind of inadvertently promoting our sponsors, right? WeatherTech. Yep. Uh, so, for instance, you know, we've put WeatherTech mats into some of our trucks, and I just love them. I think they're just so much because I'm very anal about keeping my vehicle clean, and I hate, especially like with carpets. You know, getting stuff and dirt because it just makes the vehicle look really uncomfortable. And it's a good solution, but stuff still gets underneath the mat and stuff gets around the pedals. And That's true, yeah. I mean, I would argue that especially the Forerunner is very hard to clean out from a washability standpoint. I think that's one of those things where all the manufacturers tote. Oh, you can spray it out. You know, gonna, no one is spraying out their infotainment system in their $60,000 yeah, Bronco. I guess I just, okay, maybe I, I said that wrong. 
you're not going to take a hose and spray it out. But in the Bronco, I don't feel bad about having drinks and food and dogs and dirt in the thing because it feels like it's designed to go off-road, so it feels like it's designed to get dirty. And, Tommy, you have to admit, when we go to, like, Moab and run the White Room Trail, our vehicles come back, like, covered, just covered in dust and grime and dirt. Yeah, oh, for sure. But um, I think certainly there's certain parts of the Bronco that are easier to clean out than a standard vehicle, like the dash is a plastic dash. A lot of the buttons have been designed in such a way where they can get wet, and yeah, they're not going to break. But um, this is kind of one of the big misconceptions where you're just like, oh, just take a hose and a rag and it'll be clean in 10 seconds. Um, That was like the, you know, what was one of the first vehicles to do that was like the Honda Element. That was its big thing where you could hose it out. I'm not sure anyone has ever taken a hose to an element. So we just have the F-Pace here, okay? Yeah. And that is, uh, how much was it? 73 I think. $73,000, beautiful interior leather and real wood, right? And it just felt very expensive and very chic. And on a road trip, I would feel bad about that because now I'm driving and I'm stinky and I'm getting the car stinky and I'm eating chips and you know, uh, pistachios and getting pistachios. I would just feel horrible about getting all that stuff inside the uh, Jaguar, but in a Bronco or a Wrangler or even a Defender, I, I'd feel pretty comfortable with that. Yeah, okay. All right, is that fair? All right, so let's talk about the more interesting thing, and that is we found that there is some um, misunderstandings about the way that vehicles drive down the road by themselves. And we had this issue with actually the Bronco. Somebody made a comment in the video, you said, and you said that the car does not have lane centering. And somebody said, yes, it does have lane centering. But we need to talk about kind of basically three different uh, levels of technology that help on a road trip, but that are very different and that are often confused, right? So the first level of technology, the the entry level, uh, is what I would call um, uh, lane keep. All right, and this is a system whereby uh, the vehicle either uses cameras and it sees the lane lines, and what it does is either warns you when you're about to go over a lane line, or nudges the steering wheel to put you back in the the, the lane that you want to be in. Uh, and what ends up happening in real world terms when you have lane uh, keep is it it's basically a way for the vehicle to warn you and keep you on the road but it's not self-driving technology so you end up ping pong between the left and right lane right so it sees the left lane it corrects it goes in the right lane corrects goes in the left lane corrects uh, and that's that, that that's the feature that the bronco has well maybe we should explain can i yeah, can i bring it break it down a little further so the three technologies lane departure warning yeah lane keep assist lane centering. And that is from the least assistance to the most assistance. And then the fourth one would be like um, Blue Cruise. We'll get to that. So, Which is hands-off driving. Lane departure warning. The lighter buzz are letting you know you're leaving the lane. Lane keep assist. It'll nudge you back into the middle of the lane if you touch the line. Lane centering. It's got a uh, set of sensors which will keep you centered in the lane as long as you have a hand on the steering wheel. So it's, it's uh, it's doing 90% of the driving itself. And then, and then like Blue Cruise or, or Active Glide if you're Lincoln or or uh, full self-driving if you're Tesla. Or it, Super Cruise it, it, is... hands off. No, not Tesla actually. Not Tesla. No, no, Super Cruise, GM so and GM. Super Cruise and now Blue Cruise and then the Lincoln system is on pre-mapped highways. It will drive itself as long as you're paying attention. But you, you completely hands off. You don't have to have feet on the pedals, no hands on the steering wheel. So I, now, I, I, And then you add... Um, cruise control to that that is um, 
Adaptive. Adaptive. And then basically you've got a vehicle, especially with lane centering, that basically drives itself as long as you've got your hands on the wheel, depending on how fast you're going, how many corners you're entering, right? With lane centering and adaptive cruise control, you're basically just watching the vehicle as it drives itself. So let's talk about where the- On a highway. Doesn't change lanes, doesn't- No, but that that's actually not true, because on a- you're, you're confusing folks here a lot. I don't think so. I think lane centering will work on any road. Lane centering will work on a back road. Lane centering will work on any place where you have distinctive lines. Blue Cruise and Super Cruise only works on pre-mapped highways. So it's it's an important distinction which we want to make there. Now let's talk about where the Bronco- Actually, actually I disagree. I, compl- I don't think lane centering works on any road. And I'll give you an example. When we go up to the ranch, this is a two-lane two road. And there's a dog leg right that we have to take at one point. You can turn lane centering on, and it will not make that dog leg. But it will attempt to make it. But it won't make it. And in between the dog legs, when it's straight and gentle turns, it'll work. Right, but that's why I'm saying it's mainly a highway system. Because the second you hit a dog leg, or the second you have to make a turn, because usually when you're on a secondary road, you've got to make a lot of turns, it doesn't work. But here's why I want to make it an important distinction. You can activate it on any road. Right, but you you're, can't, I, think you're, I think these are all highways. You systems. can't activate Blue Cruise on any road. I, I think actually, I don't want to confuse people because to me it seems like I would never even think about using it on a country road because I'm also not driving very far. I'm going to make turns. There's tractors coming in and off the road. There's cars, you know. Uh, to me, these, are, these technologies always work best on highways. Well, let me give you an example of my trip. So I did 800 miles okay. and I did not touch a single highway and I would have loved that system. Yes, you did. You did touch. That's well, not true. Well, I went on I-70 for maybe 150 miles. All right. But all the way up through Steamboat and then past Steamboat especially are just two-lane roads for miles and miles with nothing. There are no truck centering. There are really no turns in a lot of instances. And that is where I would love to have lane centering or blue cruise, where it's just miles and miles and miles of just two lanes with perfectly dictated markers um, and not a lot of traffic. So that would be a great place for it. But it's not like an interstate. Right, where you've got three lanes in each direction or two lanes in each direction and there's on-ramps and off-ramps. I mean, these are two-lane roads, but there's just nothing and nothing and nothing for miles. And I would feel very comfortable uh, supervising a lane-keeping system. So where the Bronco fits into the scale, so let's go all the way back to the beginning. Does it have lane departure warning? It does. So it will vibrate the steering wheel and it will flash a warning if you're about to leave the lane. Does it have lane keep assist? I'm told it does. There's a setting. I didn't have it on because I think lane keep assist is very annoying, but it'll kind of ping pong you, as you said, back to the middle if you leave. Does it have lane centering where it'll maintain the middle of the lane? That I believe it does not. So the Bronco Sport is able to be specced with lane centering where it'll keep you right in the middle of the lane, hands on, paying attention, but it's doing 90% of the driving. The full-size Bronco does not. Does it have Blue Cruise? It also does not in this current form. So uh, you've got two of the kind of four possible autonomous tech features. Yeah, but that's because Blue Cruise is only available on certain Ford vehicles right now. Yeah, but I I would imagine it's going to be like Super Cruise, where it starts out in the expensive stuff and then kind of trickles its way down to the affordable 63000 is expensive. Yeah, I agree. But uh, maybe like I mean more of the premium offerings, like on the high-end F-Series, double platinum, diamond reserve. So, so we had, um, this is I think also another, let's just, let's just switch gears to another what I think is a really good road trip car, and that is you know, the Subaru Crosstrek. And once again, full disclosure, Subaru does not lend us cars, so we had to end up buying that car. 
uh, so that we could test it. And then Ian, our videographer, bought it, and he's very happy with it. So the Crosstrek has Subaru's EyeSight, right, which is basically lane centering. Uh, uh, lane centering. Yeah. Uh, and it worked really well. It actually works really well, and it's available on all their models, including the base model, which we had. So we had lane centering on a car that cost us twenty-three thousand five hundred dollars a year and a half ago. Now I would make the argument that it. Hmm, it works fairly well, but it gives up far too easily, and sure. when it gives up, it is alarming. Yeah. So it's like you're driving along, and all of a sudden, it like raises his hands and says, "I can't do this." There's a curb, and you got to be ready to. And take some control. vehicles give you more warning when it feels like it's about to give up. I felt like the Subaru did a really poor job of that. It would just turn off if you hit a turn in I-70 that was too sharp for it. So I'm really not impressed with the Subaru sight system from that Crosstrek. Um, because of that. Now, 85% of the time it works great, and the fact that you can get it on a $24,000 car is phenomenal, but I felt that that was a pretty big safety hazard because there are a few times where you're, you know, you got your hand on the steering wheel, but you're, you're just kind of, you know, listening to your music, paying attention to the road, and then all of a sudden the steering wheel stops responding so, and you have to take control so immediately. So let me give you an example of what Tommy's talking about. So we would drive from here to Keystone, for instance, and you get on I-70, and there's a section when you go over Floyd Hill, you come down the hill, and then there's a very twisty section right before Idaho Springs. So you're on a two-lane, four-lane highway, but it's very tight and twisty. The speed limit slows down, and that's where, like, the Subaru gives up the ghost. It'll just say, I can't do this. So there's too much speed and too right. much... Too, much, too many turns, uh, and what happens is it just kind of gives up, and then you have to be ready at that moment to take control. And if you're in traffic or if there's a semi next to you, it's pretty scary. So that's the downside. But the upside is that it, you know, it has a feature that our $63,000 Bronco doesn't have. And speaking of the Bronco, if you look in this picture, you can't see it, but there's a hole under the muffler where I think you have one of the sensors. Under the muffler? I mean, under the front bumper. Oh, okay. Sorry, under the front bumper where um, there's a little box, a little black box, and I think that's for adaptive cruise control because there's also sensors by the uh, rear view mirror. Uh, and I'm always wondering, how do you put a winch in there if you've got that, like, adaptive cruise control sensor uh, in that hole where normally you would have a winch? Oh, well, what a great question. I, I, I also wonder that. Now, the best, in my opinion, um, autonomous assistance technology, I was just in the new Hyundai, and uh, this is the Ionic 5, it's the electric car, and they have uh, basically what we've been talking about. It's got lane centering, but it's highly, highly, highly advanced lane centering. So rather than just keeping you in the center of the lane, the system is very aware of surroundings. So if a large truck starts passing you on the left, the lane centering system will actually uh, shift you over a little bit to the right position in the lane so you get bigger clearance between you and the truck. So it's constantly monitoring around the vehicle. It's not just a fixed position in the middle of the lane. It'll scoot left and right within reason, of course. So I thought that was really, really clever. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, the Ford, it would be nice if it had that, that lane centering feature or Blue Cruise. So let's dig a little deeper on this because I think this is a really important road trip feature, especially if you're going far. It's nice to have uh, these aids. Uh, and I was recently driving the Lightning, right, the Ford. And we can talk about electric car road tripping because we've done that as well. But I was driving the Ford F-150 Lightning uh, using Blue Cruise, which is their completely hands-off autonomous driving system. And the one thing that I found really disconcerting is, um, and I think the manufacturers are working on this, so they're trying to get better at it, but right now uh, the system does not have what I would consider like natural or naturalistic uh, functionality. So it brakes uh, and steers and drives a car the way a computer would, okay. not the way that I would. Hmm. Uh, and that can be a little bit uh, disconcerting at best and very frightening at worst. So what I mean by that is like it waits just 
a hair too long to hit the brakes uh, if the car in front of you stops. So what I'm always doing when I'm driving and the car in front of me stops is I stop, I put my brakes on a lot earlier because I always figure that there's going to be some car who's going to decide to dart in front of me at that exact moment, right? And then I'm going to be in a very precarious and dangerous situation. The the Ford uh, waits almost, you know, a second too long before it starts. So it will stop. It won't hit the car in front of you. But if there was a car that decided to merge into that lane, I think things would get ugly really quick or it would throw up its hands and it would say, you take over. Uh, and so I, I always feel a little uncomfortable. And yeah, like you were talking about, like it, it, it drives too close to the semi truck because it's a computer. It doesn't care. I don't want to be next to that 18 wheeler, you know, for, as for very long, nor do I want to be very close to it. So like when I'm passing an 18 wheeler, I speed up just to get past that guy. And I give him a lot of room because I know the stopping distance that he needs, you know, if he's hauling 50 to 80,000 tons, right? Which is what those things can do. No, pounds, sorry, not tons. Yeah, it's good to say. Yeah, pounds. Uh, <laughs> so, so, you know, uh, so I think there's still a lot of work to be done where people feel comfortable letting the vehicle drive itself. But right now, I'm always on edge using... Uh, Blue Cruise, or uh, I haven't actually tried, um, um, what's what's GM system? Super Cruise. So this is certainly further down the road than I think um, a lot of folks are going to be comfortable with. I mean, even lane centering is a weird sensation where you're holding under the wheel, but it's doing the steering. But Blue Cruise and Super Cruise are completely hands-off. Now, there's a lot of technology that goes into it to make sure that you're not texting and reading a book or uh, like like the the... Cadillac I was in recently, the Escalade, has little sensors that are looking at your eyes, although I do question whether or not they are constantly looking at your eyes. But th that is a very interesting system because that is like you can have your hands in your pockets and it will still do the driving. So that that's, that is a pretty alarming bit of tech, but I will say from the little bit I drove the Cadillac on, on um, Super Cruise, and once again, it's only on pre-mapped highways. So some engineers had to go out and drive however, however thousands of miles of interstate is mapped to make sure that it's like a safe highway that doesn't have all sorts of weird bends and turns and trees and you know but there's a lot of highways that it'll work on and it is a very cool system where you're just letting the car do its thing and you are paying attention but not touching anything and i think we're still at the beginning of this we're you know we're 1.0 i'll give you an example of that so we have a santa cruz long term that hyundai lent us which is a little compact pickup truck uh and i drive that quite a bit uh and the one thing i have found that is super annoying with that car is and by the way, it has lane centering uh, without adaptive cruise control, which is weird. So it's got regular cruise control, but not adaptive. We had that conversation in the last podcast, so I won't, I won't bore you with that. But uh, every so often, for as far as I can tell, no particular reason, I get that little chime and that little uh, warning that comes up in one of the clusters that says, consider taking a coffee break. Ah. I could be like wide awake, it's first thing in the morning, I've just, you know, had a, I've just done my run, I am about as alert as I can be, and all of a sudden the thing will be like, eh. you know, consider taking a coffee break. And I'm like, eh, I'm really good. And, and there's no way to tell the car that, right? That's the problem. It's the, the worst thing that I, I hate with technology is when the car assumes things and does things I don't want it to do because it thinks that it's smarter than me. Another another example of that is like we just had this problem with the Jaguar where I like having on the home screen, I like having the radio display on because I change the radio station a lot. And every time you start it up, it defaults to that main screen where you've got, uh, you know, audio, navigation, and whatever the third one is. And I'm just, just why do I have to keep putting it on the radio screen the first thing when I walk into the car? Any, anything like that where it's just repetitive and stupid and it doesn't learn really drives me bonkers. Well, I think, though... <laughs> 
Yeah. I mean, it, we're in a kind of a unique position where we only get these cars for a few days to test. Right. And I think if you own that car and you really wanted to, a lot of this stuff is customizable. So, for example, like... I think that's, that's a cop-out excuse. I no, disagree. but it is. Because, I mean, I think about this a lot. Like, um, one of my friends just bought a, a Subaru, and I had a complaint about our Crosstrek, and, and, and she had that complaint initially. And then she went into the setting, changed the setting. She's had the car for six months now, and it hasn't happened again. So I think that if you own the vehicle, you do figure out that there are ways to turn a lot of the stuff off. I mean, we don't have an opportunity a lot of times to go deep, deep, deep into the settings. I, I, I completely disagree with that, and I'll tell you why. Because first of all, we own the Land Rover Defender and had that same system, so it would always default to that same home screen. Well, I never went and looked, though. I didn't know you didn't like it that much. But, I mean, but, I think if we had dove in there. But let me let me finish, okay? So let's say, I don't know if it's, if it's changeable or not, but if it is changeable, it's going to be, you know, some buried menu somewhere where you're going to have to go through 14 different menus to find it, and then you may or may not find it. Or you're going to have to go online. But you only do it once, then. And, or Google it. I, I understand you yeah. only have to do it. But, Tommy, it's, it's not just that one thing. It's everything. Like, we're flying uh, to Europe uh, today, actually, uh, to uh, go drive a Mini. Uh, and I spent, I probably spent a good... 45 minutes of my time trying to figure out what my login to Lufthansa's website was so I could actually get my boarding pass, right? So I'm, I'm, I really have less than zero tolerance for having to, you know, having forcing me to go and dive into a menu uh, after I've spent the whole day fighting technology because the technology is stupid. I'm tired of stupid technology. Customizable technology is not smart. It just forces me to have to go figure out another operating system, right? And we have to do that with every app that you download. You have to do that on every phone you use. You have to do that on every computer. You have to do that now when you go to the grocery store. You know, it, there's, there are all these companies who are doing what they used to do uh, because it's cheaper and easier for them to foist it on you, right? Whether it's going to the grocery store and having you check out your own groceries or whether it's having you do your own banking, right? It's, it's just becoming too much technology. And when I come home in that Jaguar, if it's mine, right? And I gotta go feed the dog and all of a sudden I realize I have no dog food, so I have to go to the dog food store. The last thing I wanna do is spend, you know, the, the, the few moments of my life that I have to myself trying to figure out how to customize my car so that it doesn't do something as blatantly stupid as keep the same page up. So that, that's why I, don't, I disagree. I think manufacturers should not create technology that forces itself on me. And the same thing can be said for like, you know, we just bought that ZR2, right? Uh, and uh, the ZR2 um, makes you uh, basically subscribe to get all these premium services, right? That's just a way for GM to make money. Stuff that used to be for free, now we have to pay for, right? And so I, I don't want to get emails from GM. I just got, I've been getting an email from GM now probably once a day saying, hey, your subscription to uh, OnStar has expired. Here are these really cool services that you have as long as you pay us. I don't care. If I wanted my OnStar services, I would activate it. Right? Don't subscribe me to something and then you know unsubscribe me to it and then force me to want to subscribe back to it. It's just too much, and everybody's doing that nowadays. And it goes all the way as a rant, of course. It all goes all the way to like like satisfaction surveys. If you really cared about my satisfaction, you wouldn't send me some automated BS survey, right? You would ask me when I'm having a bad experience and fix it. 
just fix it. Don't don't expect me to fix your problems. And that's what this is kind of a bigger picture, right? That's why I don't have any patience for having to go into a system and figure out why I'm getting the stupid home screen when I want my radio screen. Done. Wow. Wow, yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, let's bring back wooden wheels, crank starts, and no seatbelts. No. I agree. I think technology for the sake no, of technology. That, that, that's not a good no, argument. No, but here, here's the thing. I disagree. Then. Here's the thing, right? Um, I mean... You're arguing there's certain things you made which are great points. I think that subscription-based services and cars, terrible idea. Hate that idea to, with all my passion. You are 100% right. This whole GM thing we have to pay for, connected navigation and remote stuff. I mean, it's just that I really dislike that. But what I disagree on is the ability to get more options and then have the option to turn them on and off. I mean, I think you are never going to be in a good place when you're arguing for less technology. I'm especially arguing for less. I'm, I, what I'm saying is... Why couldn't you do it in such a way that, let's say I'm driving the Jaguar and I've got my radio screen on. I go to the store, buy the dog food, come back, and my radio screen's back on well, again. Well, there's a setting in the system. Go no, change saying, the well, setting. Why does it come that way from the because factory? Because it doesn't know how you want it from the factory. Some people may like it to go to a home screen. Really? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I don't want to go to the radio screen every time. I like to go to a home default screen. That's a preference of mine. You have a different preference, and that's why there's the option to turn it on. So and why off. does that learn? Every time I get in the car, I first thing I do is go to the go to the uh, radio screen. Why doesn't it just say? After, what does it say after like three three of those things? Hey, I've noticed that you like your radio screen. Do you want to make that your default? I'd be like yes, as opposed to having me have to go on Google and find out if that's it. and Tommy. We're, this is a big if. You are assuming that there is a setting in that system that says you can change the home screen. I would bet there isn't. A lot of times there is. So a I, lot of times I, I would bet in the Jaguar and Defender system there isn't for example like in that mini system there is there's a way you can default the the because actually this is pretty clever um this is just a fundamental difference between you and i i think you you like to get hands-on when you get a vehicle you like to get in there you like to drive it you like to just do it yourself when i get a vehicle i'm all about like i sit down and i read the entire owner's manual from front to back and i want to make sure that that vehicle is tailored to my exact settings um and i think that personally that is a great way to do it just take the hour to take the time and set that car up you just bought it you're going to be excited about it you're not going to be worried about the dog food because you just bought your new car and then just get your user set them all set up ready to go click the buttons you need to click and then over the next 10 years, you own the car. You, you never need to worry about it. I think, like, actually, it's, it's worse than that. I think it takes away from the new car experience. I'm not excited. I'm super excited to get it. And then I get in the car, and the first thing I have to do is set up some system to my preferences that is nowhere near my preferences, and it takes away from my experience because all of a sudden now I'm working as opposed to playing, right? I'm so excited about this new car. Porsche did this recently where you had to create an account and log in, and every time you got that logging account, that is so frustrating. Yeah, you just you just want to go. I mean, to me, the car isn't about the infotainment, especially like a Porsche. It's about the driving experience and about the, 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 the great joy of rewarding yourself for something with something that you know uh, you've earned by working hard, and then all of a sudden the first thing it makes you do is work hard. I, have, I, I just want to go drive it. I don't. Have, want, I don't want to have to tell Porsche who I am. I don't. I don't want to log into my car. You have 10, 15, 20 years to enjoy that driving experience. No, I, take, I, I, take the hour. Tommy, first, read the owner's no, manual. No. First impressions are are are, 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 are <laughs> the most important. If my first impression is. This car is already frustrating and uh, unintuitive. I can't get past that. Look, uh, it, it this could, is a fundamental, especially, especially a car that is meant to be about the driving experience and not about you know the the, the infotainment. This experience. is a fundamental difference between you and I. 
Um, for example, remember when I was a little guy, we went and bought a Jaguar, and mm. they did the full walkthrough, yeah. and you just wanted it to be over because it was like two hours. You're like, I just want to go drive the car. Well, because I knew more about the car than the salesman. Yeah, but then in some case, that is true. But I'm a, I've always been, because I'm a little bit nerdy and boring, but I'm a big proponent of before you go experience something, just read the owner's manual from front to back. Learn I mean, about, it's 500 pages. Yeah, but that's okay. Learn how to use it. <laughs> you mean you can fast forward through 300 of them because 300 of them are going to be buckle your seatbelt and then don't you know, take that's, that's, whatever that's before you drive. I don't want to read through that. I, I, I know all that. But it's very important because, and then what you end up with is a very different experience with the car because oh, you oh. understand to the full extent how the engineer designed it. And you, Or you go down this rabbit hole that, that, that you, you're painting this picture like you're in... Uh, Shangri-La, where you read the owner's manual and you are enlightened by the wisdom of the engineering team. The other thing that can happen, which also happens, is you go down this rabbit hole and you end up going down this hole that gets worse and worse and worse, where you try to figure out one thing, which creates another problem, and then you try to solve that problem, that creates another problem, and all of a sudden, not, once again, I'm working as opposed to driving. I, seriously, let, <laughs> let me ask you guys in the comments below, do you want to log into your car? I do not want to log. Do you want to log into your car, Tommy? If it makes the user experience better, I'll do it once. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think the it's Porsche, worth it. it was multiple times. Every. How about this one? Well, that was not our Porsche, though. That was a, that was a press unit that had a, a associated with someone how, else's how, account. How about this one? The Santa Cruz? Mm -hmm. Every time we started, you have to agree to a terms of service. Every yeah. time. That, that is annoying. I agree. That's annoying. But um, I still... Why? Why? Because some attorney somewhere decided that we're too stupid to... You know, yeah. that to drive the car without suing Hyundai I mean, if, our, something, if something horrible happens. Look, Why am I agreeing to terms of service when I'm just driving a car? Our this Volkswagen is, Touareg did that in 2004, too. We had to click the button once to clear it. I'm just saying, I think... But every time in the Hyundai. Yeah, same thing with the Touareg, every time. And BMW Systems had that for a long time, too. We had to clear it every time. Um, I think when you, when you own a vehicle... You, you learn how to operate so, it to so, the best so. of your abilities. And I'll give you an example. Here's why I like reading the owner's manual. We had that Ford F-150 Raptor, the yeah. SVT Raptor of 2014. Right. And had a feature you would never know about unless you read the Raptor, unless you read the owner's manual. If you push and held the traction control button a certain number of times in a certain order, you could actually completely disable the ABS system, which is a very, very cool piece of... Um, uh, tech which would actually improve your driving experience. So these are not only things to hook up your phone, but they actually have a major impact on the driving well, I, experience I, I of the see, automobile. I can see the comments now. Wait, disabling ABS improves your driving experience? Yes, because when you're out in the sand, it was a Baja truck. Right. You don't want ABS out in the sand. So you could be out in the Baja one day, and by reading the owner's manual, you might be able to stop and avoid that tree where you couldn't have if you didn't otherwise. And there'd be no other way to know that other than reading it. So, so why do I have to keep agreeing to terms of service on the Hyundai. Shouldn't I just be able to do it once? I mean, I, that's a lawyer thing. I think that's stupid. I agree. I think that's stupid, but that's just how that's that, how it's set up. No, no, but see, I don't... You just said it, right? That's just how it's set up. I don't, you know... I, yeah, that is how it's set up, but I don't want a car that forces me to agree with that. Well, I then think, don't buy it. Buy something else. Well, that's why we're having this podcast. I, I think that, that, that Hyundai needs to understand that there are more people like me out there who find that incredibly annoying, and, uh, and it's also in some ways... Um, it's also in some ways dangerous because what it does is the exact opposite of what a car should do. So let's say I leave my house uh, and I want to change my channel. The first thing I do is I put it in reverse, which turns off the radio, right? 
Yeah, it turns on the life-saving backup camera. It turns off the life-saving backup camera, yeah. potentially, right? Mm-hmm. Then I put it in drive, and now I want to now I want to like go and uh, change the radio station because I'm not happy with the commercial that I've heard 5,000 times. And now I get this warning, and that warning won't go away probably for a good five seconds. So I'm sitting there staring at the warning, waiting for it to go away because without getting rid of that warning, right, I can't change the radio station because it locks up the screen completely. It's five seconds. It's five seconds. One, all, one it takes thousand, is, all it takes is thousand, one second three, is to, to run over that cyclist that's coming down our road, right? Well, it's, it's actually creating a more dangerous, potentially dangerous situation. Well, just click OK. But I, it's, I, I, it's I don't, done. I, you know, I don't want to click OK because I clicked OK yesterday and the day before and the day before. And at this point, I'm sick of clicking OK. This is a major first world problem we're discussing here, Dad. It's just stupid. It's just plain you stupid. You know, I'll give you another example. Like in this job, one of the most frustrating things are driver profiles and user profiles. And like, oh, you get into a car and then 19 people in front of you have driven it and set up their profile. And it's totally different than what you want. You forget to save it. And then it's constantly changing. But if you own that car, you would do it once at the dealership. Your husband does it once at the dealership or your significant other. And then you push the button, all your settings are saved like that. And you never think about it for the next 10 years you own the car. I think it's, a, I mean, it's one of those things where I think it's all about the perspective of how you go into it. Read your owner's manual, people. Tell There's me, cool tell stuff me, You in make there. it sound like those, those settings are so simple to set up. Oh, you walk in there and you just, you know, like there's so, there's so on some cars, right, get, even getting to the point where you want to save those settings, right, is very frustrating and very complicated. Not if you read the owner's manual. It'll tell you how to do it step by I think, step. I think you're going to get a lot of pushback on it's that. It's there for a reason. Now, what I do agree with, which I think is a different conversation, but I think is a completely really bad can of worms is subscription services and vehicles. So like we talked about how um, it used to be XM and now it's sometimes XM and navigation and now it's XM navigation and the phone app that controls the vehicle and then it's XM navigation phone app and the remote start like in the Tundra off the key, I, right? I am also so sick of XM. I am sick of... So sick I of do, serious I think XM. that those subscription models are, are not my thing because if I buy the truck or the car, I want to be able to own that vehicle. So I think we can talk about Sirius because it's a road trip tool, right? It's great to be able to... And this is something unique to America. You can't do satellite radio in Europe. In fact, you can't do it in Canada to some extent because if you go too far north, you don't have the satellite coverage, right? Europe doesn't have it. No, nope, nope, they don't have satellite. I know that huh. as a fact. But I am, I am so sick of that company, uh, and I'll tell you why. First of all, the promise was we won't uh, put commercials on if you pay us a monthly fee. Well, that went out the window right away. Right, so now some of the stations have commercials and some don't, and that was kind of a sliding scale where people begrudgingly accepted it. But what I hate about Sirius is like they charge you for all these services, and they have got all these plans which are more confusing than a cable um, stair-stepped, you know, uh, uh, subscription service. And and if you ever try to call them, you end up calling someplace in Calcutta where the person says their name is Joe, but it's really not, and you can tell that because they don't speak English very well. And if you let the subscription service uh, die, they pester you with all kinds of requests and emails and mails telling you, hey, you know, your subscription service has died to XM. Here's a deal. And if you wait long enough, the $249 subscription service all of a sudden magically becomes $79. So, you know, it's like, it's, like, it's, like, it's, it's like all the bad things of an automotive dealership wrapped up into a subscription service where you've got really bad customer service. You've got a business model that's set up to fleece you for as much money as possible. And then you've got a promise of no commercials with a ton of commercials. Uh, so... You know, if, if regular terrestrial radio wasn't so 
full of commercials, then Sirius would have no uh, value whatsoever. But regular radio is so horrible that you're forced to have satellite radio just to be able to listen to a song without having to listen to you know the local uh, carpet salesman trying to convince you that your carpets need replacing. Yeah, Sirius XM is a terrible, terrible um, service. I don't like it. Well, but the solution is what all people are doing. Spotify. Yep, that's right. Just scream from your phone. Yep, that's where the world's moving to. So, Sirius, you, you should take that into consideration next time you email me that you want $250 for an annual subscription where well, you know, I can you, do it for free on Spotify. The interesting Spotify. thing about Sirius is, you know, you can barter with them. That's it's what like I mean. A, I hate that. It's like a Moroccan market. It you is. Can, it's like going to, like, exactly. It's sometimes like it's 250 sometimes it's 90 sometimes it's 50 sometimes it's 300 It's like, depending on who you get and depending on how well you can barter with them, you can typically get and, a and better you know, deal. And you know what sucks about that? You feel like you feel like taken advantage of because you feel like the guy next to you probably got a better deal. It's like when you got an airplane, right? It just it just kind of gnaws at you because you're like, oh, I wonder if the guy next to me paid fifty bucks for this ticket, whereas I paid two hundred and fifty, right? It's it just there's this there's a sense of fairness that I have that goes out the window when you're dealing with people like Sirius. Yep. Okay, right, so, so what are some of your what are some of your favorite road trip vehicles? Well, like I said, trucks. I love trucks. The downside is there's not a lot of room for luggage if you're, you know, got a full vehicle because you've got the bed and that's problematic. Uh, but now with the new, um, uh, like uh, Santa Cruz, and that's a great thing. It's got this tan-out cover where you could actually throw your luggage in there and it's relatively safe. So uh, let's let's talk about some of the great road trip vehicles. So for me, the, the vehicle has to be fuel efficient. It has to be comfortable on the road, right? Yep. Um, and uh, it has to be able to like consume giant. Uh, uh, swaths of land with one long drive. So and there's so, only one answer. So like classic GTs, which are going the way of the Dodo, right? Grand touring no, cars. Those outlet. are not good road trippers. There's there's only one answer for the What's best that? road trip. Unanimously agreed upon. What? The minivan. Nothing better for a road trip than the minivan. Oh my god. Especially the hybrid, the Sienna hybrid, the Pacifica plug-in. So hybrid. boring. Even sitting in it. Well, is you're so just boring. driving though. You don't need. I mean, Ugh. most of America is straight. I strongly believe this. You get a high driving position. You get decent fuel economy you don't get now. That high. It's pretty Compared high. Compared to a lifted truck, it's pretty low. Yeah, but a lifted truck is going to get 15 miles per gallon. Your Sienna is going to do close to 30 in some instances. Um, no, it's great. You got these big captain's chairs sometimes in the rear. It's great for passengers. You get a good view out the sides with the big windows. It's safe. They've got good safety ratings. Throw all your stuff in the back. Um, typically have pretty good technology now in 2022. It's the answer. A minivan is the single best road trip vehicle out there. For me, it's like the classic uh, Grand Tour, the GT, right? Bentley Continental GT. Why? It's a terrible road trip vehicle. It's oh, uh, terrible fuel economy. You can just, you can only go the it's same. Swa- it's swathed you in leather no. and comfort. You can you only feel go special because s- you're driving this car that nobody else has on the road. You've got so much horsepower that if you want to pass cars, you just wink and you're past them. Uh, it just wafts down the road. Of course, this is a very expensive car. You know, you, you have to think of like more affordable versions. Well, no, of this. here's here's why Grand Tours just don't make sense for road trippers. Terrible fuel economy. What's the speed limit? You can go the same speed as anyone else. Eighty-five on. Uh, is it 80 in Utah? That's pretty quick. Yeah, minivan will do 80 miles an hour just fine. Um, and then you're dealing with rock chips through the Rocky Mountains constantly. You're going to break a windshield. I would the front end's going to get chipped, and then you make it to your Hampton Inn in Fresno, and it gets stolen. I would say that the um, – you actually bring up a good point. I would say that for me, any road trip car probably has to have all-wheel drive. Well, because what about the you, whole – You can hit a winter storm what about in the Colorado whole, it's, in June. It gets stolen. It wheels get stolen. It gets scratched. It gets hit. I mean, just expensive cars well, do not how about, make. Well, so pick a pick a GT that's not that expensive. Here's a good one that I would lo- that I've road tripped in and I absolutely loved the Stinger. I love the Stinger. That to me is a classic GT. Sure. 
You don't like the Stinger? It's fine. I mean, it's a, it's it's a great car. It's comfortable. It's fast. You feel it's like kind of a, a shark among minnows. It's kind of a sports car, though. And it's, it's got a, a firm suspension. I mean, can, I, it's got changeable. It's changeable. I'm not sure the Stinger would be my choice. No, I mean, the, the answer is a Sienna all-wheel drive. Speaking of suspension, do you like it when you can change the suspension? Is that a good thing for road tripping where you can go from, like, wafty soft to, like, race car firm? Sure. Sure. No? Well, I mean, you said it yourself. You want to get as close to a full-size truck as you can right, get. Here's, a, here's another great road tripper. Yeah. All right? Uh, the Merce- I'm picking up very expensive ones because I've road tripped Mercedes-Benz. S-Class. Also a terrible. A classic trooper. giant sedan. Oh, no, my it's going to get... That, with that big, cushy pillow that, behind your it's head. It's going to get oh. damaged. Oh. That's the thing All about road trippers. Drive. They get hit. They get scratched. They get... The front Remember ends Remember you did you. that video with Case where you had the EQS and he had the uh, S-Class? Yeah, I loved it, but it also wasn't my S-Class. If I had paid hundred <laughs> grand for that thing, I'd be terrified. Terrified on a road trip. Because especially in Colorado, we get so many rock chips on the front of our vehicles. So many. And getting that on your new $120,000 Mercedes. I mean, massaging seats, butt lifting, uh, cheek lifting (laughs) seats. So when your legs and your your butt get tired. Perfect road trip. What's that? The new Kia Carnival with Uh, the uh, captain's chairs in the back. How many minivans have you owned, Tommy? Well, zero because they don't go road tripping a lot. But if I did, it would be a minivan. Mm. Seriously, they are the best. And in the back, the seats can a lot of like. Remember the old town and countries? The seats would face each other. So remember we so good for kids. Power in the back, TVs in the back. So remember we oh. went we went on a on a road trip in a Nissan Quest. Do you remember that? The best road trip we've ever went to, had. Went to Cannon Beach. The thing was awesome. In Portland, and we said you were just a youngster and. And you could drive on the beach there legally. So we said, hey, let's take this on the beach. And the thing got stuck and the yep. tide started coming in. And then I had to have like 15 people help me actually like push it off the beach so it wouldn't flood before the water came well, in. Well, get an all-wheel drive minivan. That was that was the issue we made there is the front-wheel drive minivan. I, I wasn't like in love with that thing as a road tripper. That's great. It was the best road tripper. Well, you also could... took that huge road trip in that Chrysler Pacifica with mom. Yeah. And she came. That was the only. You know, we've been doing this for 12 years, and the only car mom has ever said she liked is a Chrysler Pacifica plug-in hybrid. I just can't. We get... brought home Bentleys and Rivians and nope, Chrysler Pacifica plug-in hybrid. That's the car she liked. Mm. Because they're comfortable, and you sit high, and it's got big windows, and it's quiet, and it's pretty fuel-efficient, and oh. Well, that was, a, that was actually a plug-in hybrid. Yeah. 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 Fantastic. So, Things so, awesome. So given a choice, if I'm going to compare two cars, like a Wrangler or a, a, a Pacifica plug-in hybrid or a Wrangler 4 by I'll take the Pacifica plug-in hybrid as a road trip car. There you go. Uh, but I, it would be far, far down my list. Because I want something that's cool. The other thing about road tripping with a vehicle is that you get to know it really well and you get to spend a lot of time in it. And so it's like it's like you want to go on a road trip with you know the friend that is fun and uh, is um, easygoing and you know loves road tripping. And I don't think to me that's the minivan. To me, the minivan is kind of boring and. Uh, and, and very functional, right? It's like the librarian. I, I don't want to go road tripping with a librarian. I want to go road tripping with, with the person and the personality of a car that's going to excite me, not that's going to bore me. Here's the thing. Everybody thinks a road trip, and will culminate with them cruising down PCH in their convertible top down with the big V8 blaring on straight pipes, and, you know, their, their friends sticking out the top, and that's the idyllic road trip. But the reality of the road trip is you're going through Kansas for nine hours, and it's gray and dreary and raining, and you just want to be That's why you want that friend who's like the party girl or guy. doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if they're in the car. You're still going through Kansas when it's raining, and then your V8 classic I, car breaks down. I, and I have get, to say that the best road trip I took was in our Hellcat when we drove to California. Every time 
I thought about driving that thing. I got excited because I was in a Hellcat. That's what made it fun for road tripping. So, so for me personally, all that practicality that we're talking about, the usual kind of like consumer reports advice, I've gotten to the point where I'm like, throw that out the window. Go get yourself the most fun, the coolest, the most unique car you can so that every time you get in the thing, you're like super excited to drive it. I remember driving that Hellcat on uh, our road trip. So we drove from here to San Francisco, then down to LA and then back to Colorado. So we did this big like 3,000 mile circuit, right? Uh, and you gotta admit, it was such a hoot to drive that thing down the highway because it had that burbling, you know, 707 horsepower V8. And every time you looked at the accelerator, you would just go flying by traffic. No, it was incredible. It was not incredible because we were doing 77 miles an hour the whole time getting passed by everybody because I, I didn't want to. I went faster in stretches. You did not. I, I was did. watching that. You maybe hit 81 and then it was too oh, fast. Oh, no, 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 no. Yes, Tom, you did. No. That you were the most conservative driver. My dad does this thing where he goes online and pretends like, oh, I'm very cool and drive fast. But you know you the most important thing in your job is your license. So you and I both are very conservative drivers. Very conservative drivers. So we were not going very fast for the vast majority. Do, do, do manufacturers listen to this podcast? No, it's true. We are very conservative <laughs> drivers. It absolutely is true. Hey, sorry for the weird interruption, but we had some audio difficulties at this point in the podcast. And now we are going to transition to our camera audio, which is probably going to sound a little different. Sorry about that. The next one will be back to its usual high-quality audio for the entire podcast. I mean, every now and then you'll get on it and going on an on-ramp, but then you're right back at 79 because you have to be. That's the most important thing so, in the job so, is keeping your driver's license. So I've come full circle. I think I think if you want to get yourself a McLaren 720S and just, you know, bomb across the country, go for it. Well, we also talk Unless, about fuel economy, having, having said that, some of the cars that we road trip are horrible just because of how hard they are to drive. So the last, must we, me and Nathan, this video where we took... Uh, did a race, it was kind of a top gear like race where he flew to Aspen and I drove the previous generation, the generation Mustang GT500, mm-hmm. a manual. Oh my God, was that a horrible car to drive. That clutch was like, that clutch was like driving a garbage truck. It was that heavy. It was just a really miserable car to drive. I felt like I needed to be Arnold Schwarzenegger to get behind the wheel. It was not great. And it was cool, but you know, if the car is cool, but it's got some inherent issues. Like uh, fuel economy. No, 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 comfort issues. For me, it's always about comfort, right? So I'll give you another example. Uh, we, did, we talked about this, but like, I just drove the GT4 RS, which is a track car. I think that would be the world's worst uh, road tripping car because you would have this giant intake above your head where it's getting this fast amount of air, right? Just sucking air past your ears the whole time. You'd get so tired so quickly. I think especially now that you can't discount fuel economy. It's I mean it's one thing to say, ah, you'll just pay a little bit more. Right, well, let's talk about when that. you're on the road and you have that two hundred dollar fuel bill. Okay, let's talk about that. How about electric cars? If you want to save Oh yeah. Yeah, so how are electric cars to the road trip? We've done a whole bunch of them. I think it depends on your route. Um, if you are on any of the main highways, it's mostly fine. And if you have an electric car that charges quickly, like that Hyundai Ionic 5, 10 to 80% in 18 minutes, it really isn't that big of a deal. You're just going to be spending <coughs> a little bit extra time in Walmart parking lots typically than you rather would. So I'm, I'm torn because I'm one of these people who when I, when I get in a car, uh, I, I get like the destination in my head and I want to get there. Yeah, because you, yeah. I, 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 I always think to myself, Roman, you should enjoy the journey and no, you should. The, 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 the destination is not the journey, the journey is the journey, but I'm just so driven to get there. And then I look at like the Better Route Planner, which is this 
planner that tells you how long you charge when you're driving an electric car. And I compare the time it takes for me to, like, remember we drove uh, from California, from LA, we drove uh, the Jeep Wrangler that we bought, which was a TJ, right? We bought a TJ. Yep. Uh, and we did it in one long stretch. And I think it took us, we left like at six in the morning from LA and we got into Denver. Uh, we got into Boulder at what, like two in the morning, something like that? Mm -hmm. If that was an electric car, we would have gotten into Denver like at seven in the morning. Right, you have to plan additional time for an EV, certainly. That's and, and that to me is just, is just a waste of time. Though. Like this trip I took with Kier, the yeah, destination yeah. was kind of crappy. Yeah. I didn't like the destination very much. Dinosaur National Monument is just a bunch of dinosaur bones, which is great if you're into dinosaurs. It's true. But um, yeah, I thought that the, the, the journey was a lot of fun. So that's a case where I was really in it for the journey. I mean, every road trip's about the journey, I think. Yeah, but. It seems that, you know, I try to fake myself when I wrote your bunch of car into thinking, you know what, it's great to get out and stretch your legs every few thousand, every few thousand, few hundred miles. Uh, and then the first time you do it and you stop at a Walmart parking lot for Electrify America, uh, Tesla's a little better, right? They usually are in more interesting locations. But there are a lot of places in the West here where there's just not a lot of interesting locations. But let's say you're on Electrify America and you stop at the Walmart and you're like, okay, now I got, you know, uh, if it's a if it's a short you know if it's a short stay maybe 20 minutes if it's a long stay 30 minutes to, to do nothing but wait for this thing to charge so I go into a Walmart and I get myself like a Starbucks or something the first time you do that is good but on a thousand mile road trip the 15th time you've done that or whatever it is it's just kind of sucky you just want to get on the road and drive right by the time you get to Colorado let's say you drive from LA and you've done that now five times you're like oh god I just want to get this over with it depends I mean if you have the time to do it I think it's a lot of fun if you are in a rush to get which we're always in a rush to get to a destination it doesn't work very well but um, yeah I mean my choice for any road trip is still going to be the hybrid all wheel minivan so Toyota's Tienna. So, so we're going to Europe to drive a Mini, um, and I was just thinking to myself this morning, like, I'm kind of happy it's not the electric Mini, because I love the electric Mini, but it's only got 114 miles of range, right? Uh, so, so it's nice to have that freedom to be able to either take your time, or, or if you want, you know, just bomb it and get there. All right. Well, guys, let us know what you think about this in the comment section. Are we done? Pretty is much that, done. Is that your, what's your perfect, before we I just told you. Toyota Sienna. I, I, I don't believe that. I think you're saying that just for the... No, it's true. I mean, I, I want to give good consumer advice here, and that is the perfect road trip vehicle. It's big, it's comfortable, it's got good gas mileage, it's going to be dirt reliable, plenty of room for your friends, your kids, your family, your, uh, anything you want in there. You can put stuff on the roof, you can put stuff in the truck. It is the best road tripper. All right, out of our fleet, what would you take? We um, don't have a minivan, so what? now you're going to road trip to let's say you're gonna let's say you're gonna road trip someplace far let's say you're gonna road trip to new york oh. which is far what are you gonna take well if you're paying for gas probably the zero two no you're paying for gas you can have any car you want but you're paying for gas um uh, you can have your mini gp no god no cruise control okay um all right you could do your uh you can do your uh volkswagen convertible you could do some of the 80s cars that we have you could do some of the trucks so what car would you take? But you're paying for gas. Yeah, probably the Bronco. I think it's the best. Really? It's the best compromise that we have currently. Not, not your own Wrangler. No, no. It's uh, just the seats are too bad. Um, I think that the Bronco is a good compromise. I mean, we have a very unfuel efficient fleet, but it's a good compromise between size, space, comfort, and efficiency. Well, you know, our Mini SE is very fuel efficient. Yeah, but that only, I mean, 100, so the thing about road tripping an electric car is you got a road trip an electric car that was built to be road tripped. 
Like the Cooper SC was never intended to be road charged. It's, it's a city car. It fast charges way too slowly. An Ionic 5, on the other hand, I would take that in a heartbeat because it's got a huge, um, a hugely fast charging curve, and it's just it's a monster. Um, but of our fleet, probably the Bronco. Okay. Because I think the ZR2 is it'd be a little better, but it's just too. Keep important. in mind your your Wrangler is also a two door and short wheelbase. Yeah, yeah. even the four door. It's would a soft take, top, so it gets loud. Even the four door. The seats are too bad. Yeah, Jim needs to work on those seats. Jim, if you're listening, love you, dude, but you need to fix those seats. They're just a little too uh, rough for road trips. Yep, that's, uh, that's my choice. What's your choice? Uh, well, if I had my dithers and the company were paying for the gas, I'd take the TRX, no doubt. Well, that was not what you were paying for the gas. So if I'm paying for the gas, um, uh, you know what? A road trip I enjoyed the most that we did. Uh, it was a 944 Turbo. Yes, and that I was really, a, I really enjoyed. We drove that from Phoenix to Colorado, and I really love that. The thing about classic cars, they are a ton of fun. Um, I when they were. Yeah, <laughs> I struggled with them a little bit in re in in retrospect. I'm always like, wow, what a great road trip. When I'm doing it, I find myself looking at the alternator gauge and the oil pressure just constantly yeah, waiting for something to break. Um, and then, of course, like the headlights failed partway through. Remember, that was not a good thing. So that's uh, that is an adventure for sure. It makes a road trip an adventure. One of the headlights stopped popping up. Well, both of them did. <laughs> yeah. yeah, at night when they fail, that's always it. Make you know, but sometimes the more involved you are with the car, the more fun it is. Yeah, I mean, it's a good adventure. But in but the middle of nowhere, Arizona, with no lights on the car. Yeah, it can be kind of stressful. Um, so that that's my deal with classic cars. I think they're great adventures, but you always kind of I'll, worry about I'll, them. I'll tell you what I would take. So we have the FJ. Yeah. Um, last that, that car just is horrible on fuel economy. Plus, it's bad sight lines. It's a really cool car, but I think it's probably the worst road trip car. I took that on about a 600 mile road trip. Yeah, I know. How was it? It was lovely. Really? Really bad fuel economy. Really bad sight lines. <laughs> but it's got a good ride and it's got really good seats. Mm. So that's what made up for it. I'd actually take an FJ over a Wrangler on road trip because of the good seats. They really are good seats in the Toyota. So um, you still have to answer the question. Uh, like I said, so if, if it was my money, huh? Well, you could take your Golf R. You like that thing? Yeah, I, I thought about the Golf. The problem with the Golf R is it's so high strung. Uh, on the highway, uh, it's if I'm doing like 75, it's doing like three and a half thousand RPM, yeah, and that that's gets true. that gets really old after a while. Like, you know, it's more of a it's more of a kind of a short point and shoot car as opposed to you know the long road well, trip car. Sounds like we need to buy a Sienna. That's no, no, I, I take the TRX, or if not, I take the ZR2. I, I think that's a really good truck. I agree. Really comfortable. Um, and then you want to tell them uh, what car we just bought for a Classics Channel before we wrap this up? Yeah, so we've got this coming up. Um, no, it won't be up before this goes live. It, it'll be up soon. It's a 76 twin FJ40, the original Land Cruiser. Very cool stuff. Yeah, we just bought that. Uh, it's kind of a barn find. Um, yeah, it was So it runs and drives, but it's pretty rough. Yeah. Uh, thanks to our friend. Uh, Alan from Denver East uh, Machinery Company, right? Uh, the, the, he's sponsoring our Taming Tumbleweed series. So uh, uh, it was his vehicle that he got out of a monastery in Snowmass, Colorado. Yeah, for a bunch of with for 15 years. Silent Monks, which is a pretty cool thing. So yeah, we've got a lot of fun content coming with that. And um, yeah, we're going to go visit, do some family stuff in Europe when we're out there. And then we will. Um, See you on the next podcast. Yeah, and then we come back and actually you get to drive the new uh, 
Bronco Raptor. That's exactly you, you right. Where you, where, Palm, Palm Springs. Palm Springs. Yeah, wow. we're going to do some off-roading in that. It'll be a fun trip. And Andre's going to go drive the Escalade C, uh, the V, mm -hmm. uh, and I'm going to go drive the new Cadillac Lyric. So a lot of cool stuff coming up. Love it. All right, see you guys next time. Ciao. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.